But Lord, there is no one in this universe like you. You're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords. You live in unapproachable light. You are holy in a way that we can't even fathom. And apart from Jesus, there is no way that we could stand in your presence. But we thank you that through Jesus, we have confident access to you. We are told to draw near to you with full assurance of faith, being cleansed from the inside out by the cleansing work of Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of knowing you. And I pray that this morning as we dig into Scripture together, that you will help us come to a greater passion to know you better and a greater commitment to put that passion into practice because it's so easy, Lord, to to have good intentions about what we uh, say we want to do and what we say is important, but sometimes, Lord, we, we acknowledge it's difficult to follow through. And so I pray that this morning that you will be at work in each one of us to draw us close to Jesus and to give us that, that devotion to following him with increasing faithfulness. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. We live in a society today that is incredibly health conscious. Now, not everyone is health conscious in our society, but, but society by and large is very focused on trying to be healthy. We, we hear so many people talking in advertisements everywhere about fitness equipment and about diet programs and about nutritional supplements and about gym memberships and about organic food that you can eat and about essential oils. And, and all these things can be helpful in enabling us to live a healthy life. And I'm all for wanting to live a healthy life and take care of our bodies. After all, we have only one body. And how we take care of our body will make a big difference in the quality of our lives and the length of our lives. And on top of that, physical activity can be very fun. And it's a great way to build relationships with other people around us. And so physical activity, physical fitness is really good. But at the same time, as good as physical fitness is, spiritual fitness is much more important. I think, for instance, of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, when he said that physical training is of some value. But godliness, he said, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So he says physical training is of some value. It's good to run or to bike or to walk or to lift weights or to eat healthy. That that is a good thing. But without neglecting those things, how much more important is our spiritual health? And so the question for us this morning is this. How is your spiritual fitness? How is your spiritual fitness doing? I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 5. We are in a series right now that is walking through the Old Testament book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua chronicles a very pivotal season in Israel's history. Centuries earlier, God had promised Israel that he would make them into a great nation, that they would dwell in a special land, and that he would work through them to be a blessing to people of all nations. And the book of Joshua shows God's faithfulness to those promises, as these promises are beginning to be fulfilled. And in the passage that we are looking at today, the Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River into what is known as the Promised Land. They have not yet spread out throughout the Promised Land. They've just crossed the river. And we're going to see two different things that God orchestrates among the Israelites that helps to increase their spiritual fitness, to help them be prepared for what he wants to do in and through them. 
And one of the things as we look here at this passage in Joshua chapter 5 is this idea of, of fitness coming through holiness. That, that holiness, the concept of holiness is very closely tied to our spiritual fitness. Holiness literally means to be set apart. If we were to apply this in more practical terms, holiness is about reflecting God's character in our daily lives. Being holy is not meant to be just some abstract theoretical thing. It's meant to be lived out in our daily lives. I think, for instance, of, of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. God said to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And so God is holy. He is set apart from us. He is, uh, he is perfect in every way. And we are to be mirrors reflecting his holiness to the world around us. So this is to make a difference in our daily lives. Now for the Israelites, holiness was lived out in a bunch of different ways. Some of it was a bit more symbolic. And one of the symbolic ways that signified their being set apart for God was the practice of circumcision. And you may be wondering, why in the world are we talking about this? Well, you'll see in just a moment when we dig into Joshua 5. I'm just giving some background now. But having the males in that society circumcised was a way to show that they are set apart for God's purposes, that they are a holy nation. You may wonder, how in the world does that work? Well, imagine that you are someone who likes the Green Bay Packers, and you like them so much, you want to declare your allegiance to them to the whole world, and so everywhere you go, you wear Green Bay Packers jerseys. If you wear a Green Bay Packers jersey everywhere you go, it's going to be pretty obvious to people that you like the Packers. That in, in your heart, the Packers are set apart above every other NFL team out there. You're making it obvious by the external appearance of what you wear. Now, circumcision is similar to that. I mean, a little different um, in, in the private nature of, of the part of the body that it was enacted upon. But at the same time, it was an external symbol that indicated that God's people are set apart for him. Now, obviously, it was done among the males. So it's not completely analogous to wearing a sports jersey, but it's similar to show the Israelites, by doing the symbol that God said that they should do, are on God's team, in their hearts set apart for him. Now, during the 40 years that Israel was wandering through the desert, they sort of neglected this call to be circumcised. It was just a part of their overall wandering from God, that they were disobedient to God. This is one of the ways they were disobedient. But coming back to Joshua chapter 5, we see that now they are beginning to get themselves back into spiritual shape again, turning back to God. So we're going to read Joshua chapter 5, picking up in verse 2. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on their way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out, came out had been circumcised. But all the people uh, born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them 
that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give thus, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so what we see here is that essentially, spiritually speaking, Israel had kind of gotten out of shape. They'd kind of let themselves go. They'd wandered away from God. And just not following through on this one command from God was indicative of overall hearts that were wandering away from God. And you know what? We are all vulnerable to wandering away from God. We sang it earlier, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Just as we can get out of shape physically, we can also get out of shape spiritually. And that is what happened to the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. They got out of shape spiritually. But here, they're recognizing, hey, we need to turn back to God. And so here they're repenting and making things right again. But one of the interesting things, as I see this passage and see them obeying God and seeking to, to regain their spiritual fitness, is the reality that sometimes obedience hurts. I mean, you think about that process that the men went through. It was painful. That's why it says in verse 8 that they remained there where they were camped until they were healed. It it was a healing process. It it wasn't that comfortable. And so we have to understand that there are times in our lives when getting spiritually fit pushes us beyond our comfort zones. Times when we are following God, that if we want to follow him faithfully, it won't be comfortable or it won't be the popular option. But that's a part of choosing whether or not we're going to be spiritual, spiritually fit or not. It's in the same way that if you want to be physically fit, at times you have to push beyond your comfort zone. If you're only going to lift weights or run or bike to the degree that's comfortable for you, you're not really going to get very far, are you? If you're like, all right, let's, let's start pumping some iron. You start to lift it. Oh, this is getting kind of hard. I'm breaking a sweat. I don't like this. This is kind of uncomfortable. You put the weights down right then at that point. You're not going to progress beyond your current level of physical fitness. In order to progress in physical fitness, you have to press yourself beyond where you currently are. And that may not be that comfortable. And it's really quite analogous spiritually as well. That if we only do what comes comfortably spiritually, we're going to get stuck where we are. And actually, you're probably going to be slowly pulling away from God even more. So there are times when we want to get spiritually fit that we do get pushed beyond our comfort zones. And this may play out, spiritually speaking, in terms of how we schedule our week, may play out in how we utilize our finances, may play out in how popular we are among those around us, it may play out in how we prioritize various values in our lives. It will make a difference. And there are times, especially when we're starting to regain spiritual fitness, it's a bit uncomfortable. But for the Israelites... And for us as well, it is well worth it to follow God rather than just what is comfortable. Now, one of the things we have to understand is that God wants to transform us from the inside out. Circumcision for the Israelites was something done to the external part of the body. Now, for us as Christians, circumcision doesn't have a specific significance spiritually. Instead, according to Paul in Romans chapter 2, we are to be circumcised 
in our hearts. It's a metaphor being used there of our hearts being set apart for God. Of now, our hearts are dedicated fully to him, uh, being made holy from the inside out. And we see in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, that the circumcision in our hearts happens by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, God living inside of us, who wants to transform us from the inside out. It's not something that, that we can manufacture in and of ourselves. I think this is one place that we have to be careful and make this analogy between physical fitness and spiritual fitness. Because physical fitness, if you put in the work in the gym, if you go on runs, if you go on bike rides, if you eat healthy, you can work hard and attain goals physically. But spiritually speaking, it is not just us through our hard work that's going to gain spiritual fitness. We do have a responsibility. We need to cooperate with what God wants to do in us. There is something called spiritual disciplines, which it's disciplines kind of like physical disciplines of running and biking and eating healthy and lifting weights. Those are physical disciplines that can help you grow in physical fitness. There are spiritual disciplines as well. Spiritual disciplines are activities like reading the Bible on a regular basis, like by being intentional to pray on a regular basis, meeting together with other Christians to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron, giving financially to God's work. These are all spiritual disciplines that can help us grow in spiritual fitness. And we are called to do these types of things. Yet at the same time, it is not just by doing these things that we are transformed. Transformation comes through God's work in our lives, through the Holy Spirit. I think of Galatians chapter 5 that, that details what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are character qualities that, that indicate spiritual fitness. But these character qualities don't come in us just through our hard work. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You think about an apple tree. If you have a healthy apple tree, it's naturally going to produce apples. That's the fruit that comes out of the apple tree's health and vitality. In the same way for us, if we are healthy spiritually, if we have spiritual fitness and we are submitting our lives to God's work in and through us, there will be fruit that is born through us, and that's the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, stuff like that. It's going to be um, the investing in other people, helping other people grow. That's going to be fruit that comes through us as we are growing in spiritual fitness and allowing God to work through us. But again, we have a responsibility. We are to cooperate with what God wants to do in us and through us. But it's the Holy Spirit, God in us, who's actually causing the growth. Now, one of the things as we look here to Joshua chapter 5 is that the Israelites are responding to what God wants to do in and through them. And as they respond, it's enabling them to be prepared for what God wants to do through them in the future. And it shows the reality that spiritual fitness opens the door for God's work in and through us. Spiritual fitness opens the door for God's work in and through us. That is why, as we look at these opening chapters of Joshua, God's doing so many different things in the Israelites to prepare them. Because if they are not prepared in their hearts, in their devotion to him, in their practices, in their lives, they are not going to be ready for God to work through them as they take over the promised land and, and glorify him. I mean, think about physically. If you are not in shape but you try to go out and play in a basketball game or a game of ultimate frisbee or in racquetball or go for a run or a bike ride, if you are not in shape, you're going to be limited in what you can actually do. 
I, I think of times I've, I've, in general, been in pretty decent shape through much of my life. Just I've, I've enjoyed playing sports and still do. But I can think of times when I wasn't in very good shape. And when I play, I think of in college playing basketball. I, I'm not a talented basketball player. People always look at my height and think, oh, you must be really good at basketball. I don't have a whole lot of natural talent in basketball. But in college, I enjoyed playing. I played pickup games of basketball in the rec center many times a week. And one of the things I did to make up for a lack of, of hops, I couldn't jump that high. I, I was a mediocre shooter. But one of the things I did to make up for that is use a lot of energy and run around like crazy. And people would get upset at me because I actually played defense. And it took energy to do that, though. But I remember times when I'd go out there and for some reason, I wasn't in, in very good shape. And it was frustrating because I was not able to do what I wanted to do out there on the basketball court. I didn't have the natural talent to make up for a lack of, of energy and a lack of fitness. And so what ended up happening is rather than running around and playing the game um, to the best of my ability and making really strong contributions to the team, as I get winded. Every break, I'm down like this, trying to catch my breath. You get the ache in your side and your legs start feeling like jelly. And you aren't able to contribute as much as you could or should to the success of the team. It's the same thing spiritually. That if we don't have, have a, a decent level of spiritual fitness, we're going to be limited in what we can contribute to God's work. Especially in the church, in the surrounding community. I think that when I look at what is inhibiting the fruitfulness of, of the church here in America, I think that the greatest factors have less to do with political pressures or with social pressures, and they have more to do, the limiting factors have more to do with Christians who don't have a very decent level of spiritual fitness who maybe are going through the external uh, routines of going to church and, and stuff like that. But really, they aren't investing in that spiritual life. They aren't surrendering themselves to God that much. And their, their lives then conform to the rest of the way of the world. And, and they are not experiencing this fitness that comes through holiness, through being set apart for God. And so one of the things as we seek to grow in, in, in spiritual fitness is to submit ourselves to God's work in our lives and allow ourselves to truly be set apart for him, following his ways and not just what's comfortable and not just the world's ways. Now, there's something else really interesting in this passage. It's actually, for me, one of my favorite passages in the book of Joshua. It comes next, and it's talking about this idea of, of fitness coming through surrendering to God. Let me read for us verse 13 of Joshua 5. It says, Now, when Joshua is near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now we know that as the Israelites go into the promised land, they're going to have military battles. And Joshua probably has this military mindset. They're getting close to Jericho, which is the first city they will go do battle with. And as he's going towards Jericho, suddenly he looks up and sees this man standing in front of him. The man has a drawn sword. The image in my mind is the image from the movie Gladiator. And you picture Russell Crowe there on the, on the poster for Gladiator. I mean, standing there, and ready for battle, holding a sword to the side. That's, that's kind of the type of image that comes to my mind when I read Joshua chapter 5. Now, when you encounter a, a, a warrior with a drawn sword, you know they mean business. You aren't messing around with them. 
And so Joshua says to this man, are you for us? Or are you for, for our enemies? Whose side are you on? Let's declare your, your loyalties here. And the man's response just <laughs> would be absolutely shocking. Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my, does my Lord have for his servant? So you see this man standing there, drawn sword, looks like he's ready for battle. Joshua asks, so are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. He says, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And this is starting to indicate that this man is not merely a man. He's commander of the army of the Lord. And the army of the Lord is a reference to uh, angels, to, to the spiritual army. And, and we have to recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. We'll see that next week as we see Israel go up against Jericho. There's a spiritual battle. And this man is the commander of that army. Now, moving on, Joshua says, what message do you have for me? Verse 15 the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So it becomes very clear here that this is not a human. It's not just an angel. He says, the place you are standing is holy. There's one other place in Scripture where we see that. And that was up in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses. Moses was leader of Israel before Joshua led them. Let me read for us Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's the exact same wording. To Moses, God appeared to him in physical form. God doesn't have a physical form. God doesn't have like a permanent body or anything like that. But he, he can take on a physical form at times. Here he, he's speaking through the form of a burning bush. In Joshua 5, he's speaking through the form of a warrior with a drawn sword. More recently, about 2,000 years ago, he took on human form in Jesus. But back here in the burning bush, God said, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses did so. Joshua chapter 5. This man says to Joshua, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Joshua did so and bowed down in reverence. But I see this idea of, of whose side are you on? You're on ours or on the other side? And he says neither. And I, and I think this is a good reminder that God is God. And he is sovereign. And we are not. And so one of the things we have to understand is that it's not about our agenda or it's not about us asking God to bless our plans. Whether as individuals or as a church, it can be easy to come before God and say, God, I want you to do this and this and this. Or, hey, we've worked really hard and we come up with these plans. God, will you please bless these plans? It's easy for individuals to do that. It's easy for churches to do that. But we have to understand that God is the sovereign Lord. And it's not about us coming to God with our agenda and our plans. It's about us going to God and saying, God, what do you want to do? God, where are you working? And how can we join what you 
are doing. It's an act of surrender, of saying, you know what, it's not about my dreams. It's not about my desires. It's not about my hopes. God, I want to surrender myself to you and ask, what do you want to do? And so by, the, by God appearing to Joshua in this form, he's reminding Joshua, Joshua, I am in charge here. Your responsibility is to follow me. Now, the neat thing in all this is that we still know that God loves us. Even though in this case, God says, I'm not on either side, we also know from earlier in Joshua that God is supporting Joshua and what he's doing. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We know from, from the New Testament, it says that if God is for us, who can be against us? That God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins so that we could have new life and new hope through him. And so God does love us. In essence, it's kind of like he is on our side, but he's on our side when we choose to align ourselves to him and be on his side through surrender. Now, it is hard to surrender. We're born with a will that wants to do our own thing. And as I see with children ages five and seven, that will grows stronger. And that will doesn't, that self-will to do our own thing doesn't naturally just go away when you turn like, 18 or 21 or, or 30 or 60 or anything like that. No, it takes an active choice of the will to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm ready to surrender to you. And this surrender to God is really one of the chief characteristics of spiritual fitness. Many people, when they think about spiritual fitness or spiritual maturity, they think, well, it's about knowing a lot of Bible, uh, Bible passages by memory. Or it's about being really, really involved in church ministries or stuff like that. Those things are good, but I think a starting point of spiritual fitness is an act of surrender. That's how we come to faith in Christ, by surrendering to him. It's how we continue to grow in following Jesus is by continuing to surrender, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. And my prayer for us is that we will recognize that spiritual fitness really is a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal in our eternal life because our eternal life depends on our spiritual fitness, whether or not we're willing to submit ourselves to God, receive Christ, and let him work through us. Our spiritual fitness is a big deal because our current happiness depends on it. God designed us to live in relationship with him, and if we are out of joint with who he is and what he's doing, we're not going to live life to the fullest. Spiritual fitness is also a big deal because our family depends on it, like earlier with these dedications. You know what? The, the role model of the parents plays an indispensable role in how the children are going to grow up. So for parents, the spiritual fitness of your family depends in a significant way on your spiritual fitness. Also, the world depends on it. The world, in order to be reached with the gospel, the world needs Jesus. But we, who are Christ's ambassadors, need to be of a level of spiritual fitness that we can actually go and engage in the process of pointing more people to Jesus. So my prayer for us is that we, even as we may seek to be active and, and, and healthy physically, we'll recognize that spiritual fitness is even more important, that we will dedicate ourselves to that, not just depending on our own strength and, 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 and activity to, to grow in that spiritual fitness, but that instead we will be surrendering to God, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. And as we do so, I think it's going to be amazing to see what God will do in and through us as individuals and as a church. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you long to know us, 
so much that you sent Jesus to this world. And you also have such a heart to work through us. And we confess that we so easily, Lord, wander. Our hearts can grow kind of cold. They can grow kind of uh, weary of following you. They can grow um, divided in terms of wanting to follow other things. But Lord, you are the place that there is true life. And so I pray that each one of us, even as we devote ourselves to physical activity, as we devote ourselves to work, as we devote ourselves to parenting, to having a good time and the hobbies, that above all else we will be devoted to following Jesus and to growing in that spiritual fitness so that we will experience the true life that you offer and that we will be active in helping others experience that life as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday starts the week that Brandon and his family will be taking a sabbatical for four weeks from this church. A sabbatical is a very biblical thing. Our word Sabbath comes from that same concept. God set aside the seventh day for rest. In the Hebrew communities, every seventh year, the fields would lie fallow, resting, so they could regenerate, produce better crops, and the people could tend to the business of their lives and their, their spiritual lives especially. So we here at Freedens have set up a program for allowing our pastors to take sabbaticals after seven years. And this is your start of your eighth year, so it's time for Brandon to go on a sabbatical. It'll be a smaller sabbatical than might typically be heard of in the pastoral world, but it's a start. So, Brandon, four weeks. Typically, this is your vacation time for two of those weeks for your family. This is longer, and this is different. How do you see sabbatical for you during these four weeks? What's your purpose? What's your plan? Um, well, a number of different things will take place during that sabbatical. I mean, one is it, it's really a chance to step away from the daily rigors of ministry. 